Chapter Three of *The Escape of a Princess Pat* by George Pearson. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recorded by Mike Vendetti. Chapter Three. Corporal Edwards takes up the tale. It was on this day I rejoined the regiment. I had been wounded in the foot at Saint Eloy in February and had come up in a draft fresh from hospital, and had lain in the supports at the huts all of the fourth. The survivors of the front-line fire joined those at the huts shortly after nightfall. They were stupid from shell-fire, two days to talk. I saw one man wandering in half-circles, talking to himself, and with a heavy pack on. There were others in worse plight, so there was no help for him. Myself? I was too engrossed in a search for my comrade Woods to bother with other men less dear, however much I might sympathize with them. He and I had been mates since Toronto days, had made good cheer together in the hot August days of mobilization at Ottawa, and had rubbed mess tins together under the starry sky at Levy's, before the great armada had taken us to English camps and other scenes. It was he who had fetched me out of danger at St. Eloy, and now it was my turn. They told me he was somewhere on a stretcher. I searched them all. I struck matches, and was met by querulous curses. I knelt by the side of the dying. I inquired of those wounded who still could walk, but find him I could not. It appears that a new and heavy mustache had helped to hide him from me. I was in great distress, but in the fullness of time and when our small circles had run the route, I discovered him in Toronto. The word was that we were to go to Vlamertingi, where the Zeppelins had bombed us in our huts. It lay well below threatened Ypres. We of Number One Company passed Bellward Lake, with its old dugouts and its smells, and struck off across the fields, the better to avoid the heavy barrage of fire, which made all movements of troops difficult beyond words. We reached the railroad up and down which, in quieter times, the battalion had been wont to march to and fro to the polygon wood trenches. The fire became heavier here, and the going was rough, so that what with the burden of packs, which seemed to weigh a ton, and all other things, we moved in a mass, as sheep do. When slung rifles jostled packs, good friends cursed one another, both loud and long. This was trench nerves. Shortly we ran into a solid wall of barrage fire. The officer commanding the company halted us. We were for pushing on to that rest, each aching bone and muscle, each tight-stretched and shell-dazed nerve fairly screamed aloud for. But he was adamant. We cursed him. He pretended not to hear. This also was trench nerves. It was growing late. The star shells became fewer. The searchlights ceased altogether. In half an hour those keen eyes and distant trees and steeples would have marked us down. And what good, then, the agony of this all-night march! Better to have been killed back there at Bellwardy. We were still a good two miles from Ypres town. The officer literally drove us back over the way we had come. His orders had anticipated this eventually so that rather than force the passage of the barrage fire merely for a rest we should rest here where no rest was to be had undoubtedly if we had been going up it would have been different we should have gone on no fire would have stopped us 
The half-hour limit brought us to a murky daylight and an old and sloppy support trench, which bordered the track and into which we flung ourselves, to lay in the water in a dull stupor that was neither sleep nor honest waking. Later, when the rations had been dished out, we bestirred ourselves and so found or dug queer coffin-shaped shelves in either wall. Out of courtesy we called them dugouts. I do not remember that anyone spoke much of the dead. The rain stopped, and for a time the unaccustomed sun came out. We drove stakes in the walls above our coffins, hunted sandbags and hung them in spare equipment over the open face, and then crawled back into the water which, as usual, was already forming in the hollows that our hips had made where we lay. Until noon there was little heard but the thick breathing of weary men. Occasionally one tossed and shouted blasphemous warnings amid imagery and bursting shells, whereat those within hearing whined in a tired and hopeless anger, and, if close by, kicked him. Trench nerves. All day the fire of miniguns sprayed us. Nearby the well-defined emplacement of one of our own batteries invariably drew to the entire vicinity a heavy fire so that one shell broke fair amongst our sleeping men. End of chapter 3